Hello and welcome to episode 14 of the Ecuador Insider Podcast. Yes, we have changed the name. Abundant Living Ecuador is just not that catchy. Abundant Living Ecuador Podcast. So welcome to episode 14 of the Ecuador Insider Podcast. I am Jesse Bayer here with my partner Darnell Dunn. We are the founders and managing partners of Abundant Living Ecuador, a real estate and relocation services firm based out of Loja, Ecuador. You can reach us on our website at www.abequador.com. That's A's in Apple, B as in Boy, Ecuador.com. Also can reach us on our toll-free line at 1-800-999-888. Thank you. Uh, 888-999-0948. 888-999-0948. And of course, that normally our, I make the mistakes with the, uh, with the numbers. numbers. <laughs> and of course, well, I said 1-800 and that threw me off because it's 888 and then I, right. my brain didn't know where to go from there. <laughs> um, you can also get us, of course, at our email at info at abequador.com. So we have uh, what we hope is a interesting show for you today. We're going to jump around to a number of Ecuador related topics. Um, including, of course, the real estate market, rentals, uh, properties down here, some things that are going on in the political and financial fronts in Ecuador, and um, maybe a couple of personal anecdotes. So where do you want to start today? Should we? You want to jump into those rentals, or should we start with uh, the political uh, slash economic stuff? Yeah, uh, we can start with the rentals, but first and foremost, um, let's talk about a couple of the new additions to the website. Um, now you'll be able to listen to the Ecuador Insider podcast directly on our website. We've got a new tab on the homepage uh, in some new blogs that we recently put out. Um, one is specifically talking about um, securing your food and water sources and why that makes sense uh, in today's world. So keep an eye out for those new things. With respect to the rentals, I actually just um, came back from an appointment checking out a couple of new ones, and, and rentals are something that lots of people look for and contact us about. They're interested in the Loja area, but they don't know the Loja area, and so they want to check it out, and we always recommend that if somebody can find an apartment that's right for them, um, we're obviously happy to help with that, and that can really give somebody, help them make an informed decision about whether this is a place that they'd like to live or not. So four different units that I came across. The first one is um, in the El Valle neighborhood of Loja. It's right on a river, um, has three and a half bedrooms, really three bedrooms and an office. This is a house or an apartment? Uh, this is an apartment. Uh, really a penthouse, top floor, um, has a big, large living room and dining room with, the, uh, with a balcony off the dining room. You've got um, you know really nice finishing. You've got it's two floors plus a terrace, so you've got um, the office and the living room, dining room, kitchen area downstairs with a half bath. You go upstairs, then you have the master, uh, the other two bedrooms, and then when you go upstairs, you've got the uh, a very t a very large terrace that uh, has incredible views of the city. Very centrally located, close to shopping restaurants. Uh, the Loja Movie Theater, as well as bus lines. And we have that for uh, six fifty a month. Uh, furnished or no? Uh, unfurnished. Unfurnished. Um, the other three are in the uh, Leon neighborhood of Loja. Um, two units are three bedrooms, two baths, um, probably the highest, highest end finishing materials I've seen of any apartment. Um, bamboo flooring, which is a um, very nice design touch. Um, it's also close to uh, transportation, bus line shopping, and it's only a block away from the taxi service that brings people back and forth to Vilcabamba. Um, so that's something to keep in mind as well, too. The, uh, the two bed three bedroom, two baths are at 450, and the uh, three bedroom, two and a half bath that's a slightly larger is at 500. Those are both unfurnished as well. Yeah, I should mention as well a new, uh, we got several new listings, but one really worth pointing out. Um, the owners came to us, the owner, or I should say the guy who built the house, actually the son of the owners is an architect here in Loja who was trained in Spain. And uh, he built this house for his parents as like their kind of dream second home. 
Um, it's in Malacatos, actually, in an area called Taxiche, which is uh, in the Malacatos area, right above Malacatos. Um, really, really, really impressive, both for um, the style, uh, the amenities that it offers, and the price. So it's it sits up on this hill above Malacatos, so your views are almost 360, and they're of they're just spectacular. You know, the rolling green mountains of of uh, the foothills of the Andes, um, very accessible um, both to Loja, Vilcabamba, and Malacatos. Um, has a pool. Uh, it's four bedrooms, uh, four bath, including like an outdoor guest bath. Um, bunch of cultivation, fruit trees, all done organically. The pool as well is non-chlorinated. Um, and the, the way that the, he built the house is just meticulous. It's, um, and it's really a nice style. Like I was commenting to the owners when I was there looking at it that, um, they did it in such a way that everybody, regardless of your sense of style is going to be into this house. Like anyone from a businessman to an artist would be into the way this house was done. Cause it's done semi high end and like really, really nice and very high quality materials, but also very simple and understated. Um, a lot of brick, polished concrete, bamboo, um, all of the interior ceilings, or actually I forget if it was all of the interior ceilings or portions, but large portions are um, bamboo. And one whole side of the house where the living room is, is glass. Uh, glass doors that open up completely, looking out over the pool, your front yard, and then just these spectacular views and hammocks and built-in barbecue. Um, just really done to perfection, and they're asking 198 uh, for it. So really a spectacular value as well, and and just you know move in ready. They're selling it largely furnished at that price as well. Um, so really a, a, a spectacular find. And finally, uh, the property that we've been talking about for the last month now on Rumishitana, which is just outside of Malacatos, in between Malacatos and Vilcabamba or excuse me, Malacatos and Loja. It's finally on the website. Um, really happy with how the photos and the videos came out. Uh, and again, that is a uh, 3.25 hectare um, hacienda, uh, meaning that it's in you know, part of an old uh, estate. Um, very, lots of flat areas for either additional cultivation or building. Uh, currently it's cultivated with cassava, corn, uh, sugarcane, coffee, oranges, limes, bananas, and alfalfa. Also has three concrete fish ponds if you're into fish farming. Um, so that property we have listed at 349000 And if you're looking to find those on the website, they're both listed under Malacatos. Uh, the one Darnell is talking about right now is titled The Perfect Hacienda. The one I was talking about a moment ago is titled The Perfect Property in the Perfect Location. A lot, of, a lot of perfects in those titles, <laughs> but those are incredibly sweet properties. Um, okay, is that uh, the business in terms of new properties and, and uh, rentals? Yes, sir. All right. Um, so let's jump in a little bit to some of the financial political stuff that's going on. Um, why don't we start? I know, um, Darnell, you had written a blog that you mentioned recently about... Um, you know, securing your food and water supply now. And, and I think part of that equation for people is, you know, where can they immigrate to and what are the restrictions on those on, on, on the immigration? For example, you know, there's some places in the world you can't own land as a foreigner. There's some places that are, you know, more, more difficult to immigrate to than others. You know, I mean, I think one of the reasons that Ecuador was in the discussion for us when we were looking at Central and South America, more so South America, but um, was that the ease of immigration is excellent. Um, you right. know, uh, we've talked about this a number of times, so I won't go back into it in terms of the visa requirements, but it's very easy to immigrate here, um, and there's no restrictions on foreign ownership of any kind. So whether you're living here or not, you can own land, and you know if you do want to live here permanently, that's not difficult to do. Well, and you don't need to be a permanent resident to own land. Exactly. Well, you know, as uh, people who, you know, are up on uh, these kind of topics know, um, you know, many places, as, as uh, the crunch kind of increases as far as the political, geopolitical, and economic situations in the Northern Hemisphere and places like the U.S. and Europe and Canada and so forth, places like Ecuador um, 
will see and are seeing um, an influx of foreigners. And so what that often makes governments do and what they've already done in many places is they place higher restrictions on immigration and make it either more expensive and or more difficult to immigrate to. So we haven't seen anything like that take place here yet. I mean, they increased, for example, uh, the value of the investment you need to make for an investment visa a year or two ago by five grand, but, you know, not a big deal. I mean, went from 25 to 30, so we're not talking, you know, a prohibitive number. Um, but um, we maybe caught the first whiff of that uh, recently and some stuff that's coming out of the gov government. I know you've got that article in front of you. Right. So it, uh, it comes from... Uh, CuencaHighLife.com, which is a pretty good site. They come out with uh, daily emails about the goings-on in Ecuador. So I definitely recommend anybody who's listening to the podcast to uh, sign up for the, that so you get those updates. And the article is titled, Foreign Ministry Continues to Examine the Effects or the Effect Expats Have on Cuenca. Uh, so Cuenca is the third largest city in the country and the home to the largest expat population, about 10,000 people. According to the, uh, to the Ministry Office of Immigrant Communities, 5,000 North Americans and British people uh, live, in, live in, um, in Cuenca, along with um, about 4,000 Germans, French, Peruvian, Cubans, and Argentinians. So altogether, you're at somewhere around nine to 10,000 foreigners who are living there. And so, um, you know, that's changed the way you know, people interact and things happen in Cuenca. And so the um, last year, the ministry said that they would be embarking on a study to, where's the quote here? Hang on. Oh, they, they reserve the right to take special action to, quote, mitigate the cultural and economic impact immigrants are having on the local population. So that's... A very, uh, they're painting very broad strokes. That's, that's, um, that just gives me pause, and I think it's something that you know all foreigners who are in Ecuador or thinking about relocating to Ecuador should take into account, uh, particularly those people who aren't here, um, because that just screams to me that that um, there could be more stringent policies going forward. Also, um, as part of a, a change that uh, President Rafael Correa made to the Constitution back in 2008, uh, he had gotten rid of all, all visa restrictions. So if you came from any country in the world, you could come to Ecuador without a visa. So just with your passport and you could stay for three months. And since then, he's reinstituted um, visa requirements for 11 countries. So that's also um, also an additional sign that uh, immigration rules could be changing going forward. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> you know, this article from the desk of Central Planning Hell, um, another, another funny quote in that article, this is according to the Undersecretary of Immigration, Humberto Correro, who says, it is possible we will need to, need to place restrictions on the number of foreign residents living in the city and encourage them to locate in other areas. Because after all, I mean, you know, if government can't decide where you live, you know, <laughs> what use is government? So, yeah, but 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 to the broader point, um, nothing major has come down the pike yet as far as limiting or making it more difficult to immigrate to uh, here. But certainly there's some things um, that, you know, potentially are pointing to that in the future. And also, so some other recent news in Ecuador. So Ecuador uh, recently gave China permission to exploit a third of its of the Amazon, of the jungle region of Ecuador. Um, so, you know, very uh, obviously lots of groups of people against that. Um, and just another sort of uh, <clears throat> chink in the armor, or not chink in the armor, but another uh, sign along the road to, you know, China's sort of takeover of Ecuador. Um China, for all intents and purposes, is really the only international player who lends money and does business, lends money to and does business with Ecuador in any kind of meaningful way. Um, and part of the way that this works is basically China lends Ecuador money and then either explicitly or non-explicitly in return gets their natural resources. And at the same time, Ecuador passes laws making it more difficult for the domestic business uh, community to, or even individual, to exploit uh, the resources here in Ecuador. 
Um, I actually have a, and we'll, I'll get in, you know, we can touch on those specifics as far as the Amazon and, and the new loan that Ecuador got from China, which they get a new loan from China fairly frequently. Um, but I, I, I had pulled up this article, um, which it's a great article if anyone wants to go read it. It's a little bit old. It came out in July of 2015. It's from the New York Times. It's titled, China's Global Ambitions, Cash and Strings Attached. Um, and it, it gives a what I would describe as a fairly accurate account of um, what's going on in Ecuador, both economically and politically. Which is saying something, given that it came from the New York Times. Agreed. Um, yeah, it was, it was kind of really shocking to me when I read it, how accurate it was. I was like, oh, this is not propaganda. This is uh, it's very accurate. But anyhow, um, so the, the point of the article, um, I mean, it's a sweeping article. Again, I encourage you to read it. But the, the point of the article basically is that, you know, Ecuador is running out of money, oil prices are down, they're trying to get loans from China, China is interested in working with Ecuador on infrastructure projects, and of course China is very interested in getting their resources. Um, it, it, it gives a telling quote from Rafael Correa, uh, you know, who, which kind of paints some of the backdrop of this. Quote, what Ecuador wants are sources of capital with fewer political strings attached, and that goes back to the personal history of Rafael Correa, who holds the United States directly or indirectly responsible for his father's death and suffering, said R. Evan Ellis, professor of Latin American studies at the United States Army War College Strategic Studies Institute. Uh, but there is also a desire to get away from the dependence on the fiscal and political conditions of the IMF, World Bank, and the West. And so I would just say, you know, to whatever, uh, you know, amount of that is true and not true as far as the reasons why Certainly that is happening. Um, Ecuador is pivoted to China big time uh, under Korea. And uh, as I've mentioned, you know, China is looking to give loans in return for resources. So they've sort of traded one, um, I don't know if controller is too strong a word, but traded one sort of mafia partner <laughs> for, for another. Um, uh, later on in the article, quote, the problem is we are trying to replace American imperialism with Chinese imperialism, said Alberto Acosta, who served as President Correa's energy minister during his first term. The Chinese are shopping across the world, transforming their financial resources into mineral resources and investments. They come with financing, technology, and technicians, but also high interest rates. So, um, yes, you know, that's very true and that those high interest rates loans are from China are being felt here and, you know, China gets a lot in return because they get to tap the oil and gold and, and water and whatever else they're looking for. Another very telling quote from this article, probably one of my favorite quotes I've come across in the last period of time regarding uh, Ecuador it's uh, a Chinese official is speaking and he says, quote, of course we have concern over their ability to repay the debts. China isn't silly, said Lin, Lin I can't pronounce that name, uh, the director of the Energetic Energy Economics Research Center at Xiamen University in China's Fujian province and a government policy planner. But the gist is resources will ultimately become valuable assets. <laughs> so, you know, that's a very revealing quote because China is lending Ecuador money, understanding that they may never pay it back. The point is, is that it's leveraged with Ecuador's natural resources. So, you know, China is not necessarily um, hoping to get every penny of every loan back, but they are looking to secure uh, mainly oil, but also other, other natural resources. Gold, silver, copper. Right. Water. Yeah. Um, I mean, Ecuador is sitting on the largest proven reserves of silver and gold in the world. And, they've, and through Ecuador's tax policy, in my opinion, at the behest of China, they've made it almost impossible to mine domestically. So, um, you know, those resources are safely in the ground for these sorts of deals. Um, the article continues, if Ecuador or other countries can't cover their debts, their obligations to China may rise. A senior Chinese banker who spoke only on the condition of anonymity for diplomatic reasons said Beijing would most likely restructure some loans in places like Ecuador. To do so, Chinese authorities want to extend the length of the loans instead of writing off part of the principal. That means countries will have to hand over their natural resources for additional years, limiting their government's abilities to borrow money and pursue other development opportunities. So very straightforward article out of the Times that 
uh, sums it up nice. Pretty interesting. And, you know, one of those, there's actually one project in particular that, you know, in addition to the oil exploration that's going to take place in the parts of Ecuador that have been auctioned off to the Chinese, but also um, in Cuenca, uh, another article from Cuenca, uh, excuse me, uh, Cuenca High Life that talks about the uh, construction that's going to be resuming on the tram system that they're building there. Um, now, some of that that uh, construction has been paralyzed because of just a lack of liquidity that the government has. Um, but in this article, it says um, that's titled "Construction Resumes on um, Avenue Lasso Following Agreement with Chinese Contractor." Uh, the regional director of Ecuador's Ministry of Transport and Public Works said that uh, the work has resumed on the avenue, um, a multi-laning project on Cuenca's west side. According to the government, construction has been plagued by work stoppages due to financial difficulties of the Chinese company performing the work. Um, we believe that the problem has been caused by delays has been resolved, uh, said the undersecretary of the Trans uh, Transportation Ministry. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that money very well likely, I mean, that disbursement of money that took place that was about $10 million happened around the same time that the government announced that they received a $980 million loan from the Chinese. 970. Yeah. Oh, 970, excuse me. So, and another point to, to this article is that it's a Chinese company that's performing the work, not even an Ecuadorian company. So the Chinese are lending money to Ecuador for them to hire Chinese companies to then do the work. Yeah, and, chi and, chi used, and, and they have to purchase all Chinese uh, equipment and technology and all those kinds of things as well. So labor as well as, as, well as um, you know, the infrastructure and support you need to do the project. And uh, so just jumping back real quick to the uh, rainforest uh, oil drilling deal. And this is a... This is a, a lousy source here. It's read, readersupportednews.org is, is where the article comes from. I was just quickly Googling it before I sat down to do this podcast and um, didn't come across a better one, but I, it, it's definitely accurate. Um, the, article, the title of the article is One-Third of Ecuador's Rainforest to be Auctioned Off to Chinese Oil Companies. Um, and so the, the important uh, point is China would be free to exploit exploit about 3 million of the country's 8.1 million hectares of pure, untouched Amazonian rainforest. The region has remained pristine despite the advent of industrialization until now. Um, and, you know, this is obviously highly controversial here. There's a lot of indigenous groups that live in the rainforest that are very much against it. And also, I would say most people probably as well. Um, so there's a couple of quotes in here about the controversy, but that's the main, that's the main point of the deal. And then again, so they, they announced that and then, you know, immediately they got this loan as well. So those things are, you know, not unrelated. Um, yeah, also, I mean, that, that um, in the article where they talk about the disbursement of the loan, they, um, they say that it's a consortium of Chinese companies that have been negotiating this deal since 2006. Right. So, hey, well, okay, you know, they're at the end, we'll give you the loan and, you know, you sign off on this kind of thing. Again, your mafia partner. Um, <laughs> um, your daddy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> um, another very brief article from the Financial Times titled, Ecuador Secures $970 million Credit Line from China's ICBC. Uh, I'll just read the whole thing because it's about six, six small paragraphs. Ecuador breathed a sigh of relief after the oil-rich nation that it had, uh, excuse me, of the, the, Ecuador breathed a sigh of relief, relief after the oil-rich nation that Oh, it's written wrong. Wow, that's written strangely. Okay, so anyways, I'm just going to start from here. Signed a $970 million credit line with the Industrial and Commercial Bank of China, or ICBC, on Friday, amid an 18-month slump in, oil, in crude oil prices. The credit line is part of a broader package agreed to last year, the finance ministry said on Friday. Uh, a year ago, during a visit to Beijing, Ecuador's President Rafael Correa announced that China's ex- IM Bank would extend a $5.3 billion line of credit to help maintain public spending while he secured another $1.5 billion from China Development Bank as well as other funds. 
China, which is grappling with a slowdown, has been Ecuador's main lender since 2009 when the country was shunned from international debt markets after a voluntary default. Data from the finance ministry, which which excludes the latest ICBC credit line, showed that Beijing was owned $5.4 billion by Ecuador. A chunk of the China loans are backed by oil exports. Ecuador returned to the bond market in 2014, and last month it repaid a foreign loan for the first time since it's since it first missed payment 183 years ago. <laughs> Which I know you were telling me, you know, that that's a badge of honor uh, amongst the Korea administration. Yeah, they were saying that you know, like, look how financially secure we are. You know, we paid a loan for the first time in 183 years. Right. Financially secure, you know. Un- which means, you know, they can take on more debt right. and become less financially secure. <laughs> you know, yeah. Look, we borrowed more money to pay back old money. Look how we're so financially <laughs> secure. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Secured by, you know, rainforest uh, in gold and silver reserves. Which, which they, you know, are for the people. You know, they'll, they'll hold them for the people and not let anybody exploit them, any of those private countries, while they give them all to China. For in exchange for debt. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes, the world we live in. Um, last article I have here, Bloomberg business article. It's a little old as well. It's from September uh, 2015, um, titled, Ecuador enters recession as China loans fail to offset oil. So this obviously would be before these latest loans and deals have come through. Ecuador's economy slipped into recession in the second quarter for the first time since 2009 as the government struggles to borrow enough money to offset the global oil slump. Gross domestic product shrank 0.3% from the previous three months after contracting a revised 0.1% in the first quarter, Central Bank General Manager Diego Martinez said Wednesday to reporters in Quito. From the year earlier, the economy expanded 1%. Ecuador is running out of money. Its use of the U.S. dollar as its official currency means increased dependence on foreign loans as the slump in oil prices cuts the value of exports. The local money supply has shrunk by about a quarter this year. That's very important. While the trade deficit has swelled to a record. To make matters worse, expected loans from China, which they've since received, the nation's biggest foreign creditor haven't come through as fast as forecast, forcing the government further afield in search of cash while it cuts spending. Quote, Ecuador's... Economy is sustainable insofar as the net dollar inflows are positive, Martinez said. Even though there have been unforeseen difficulties accessing financing, the government has been very responsible by reducing its investment expenses. <laughs> um, the Latin American nation's trade deficit in the year th- in in the year through July swelled to 1.41 billion as falling exports from oil and coffee to fresh cut flowers and tuna reduced the amount of dollars entering the country. That's the biggest gap for that period in central bank data going back to 96. President Rafael Correa has tried to limit capital flight by increasing import taxes and Tuesday sent a bill to Congress to help boost foreign investment. Still, that's not been enough to avoid cutting budgeted outlays by 2.22 billion or about 6% so far this year. Martinez revised the bank's forecast growth uh, for this year to 0.4% from 1.9% forecast in June. The new figure is based on estimated price for oil exports at about $45 a barrel, he said. The nation's Oriente and Napo crude exports have averaged $47.31 a barrel in their first seven months of the year, according to the most recent data from the central bank. Faced with less than an expected loan dis. dis- Disbursements from China this year, the government has been forced to tap bond markets twice and agreed to sell almost a year's worth of crude exports to Thailand in return for $2.5 billion of financing through 2020. In a June 17th statement, Ecuador's finance ministry said it received $900 million in April and May from China. Finance Minister Fausto Herrera in January said Ecuador expected a total of $4.2 billion in loan disbursements from the Asian country this year. Ecuador needs about $8 billion for this year's financing needs, Martinez said. The nation has received a total of $3.56 billion in foreign loan disbursements as of August 31st, according to Finance Ministry data. The Latin American country, which defaulted on most of its foreign debt in 2008 and 2009, is now trying to improve its international reputation in global credit markets and plan and plans to repay bondholders when $650 million of its notes come due in December, Martinez says. The nation has no plans to end dollarization. Yeah, and they subsequently paid that loan, which was the badge of honor. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, some of the stuff that's going on on the political slash uh, fiscal front here in Ecuador. 
And the last thing tied to China, a uh, very interesting article that I came across uh, on Institutional Investor Magazine on one of their blogs called Unconventional Wisdom. The, t- the title of the article is Kung Fu Panda's Secret Weapon, a Reserve Currency. And it, one thing that's really interesting with China right now is that all, everything you hear in financial news suggests that, oh, the China is slowing down and that for that reason... They couldn't become the world's reserve currency. And this article doesn't say that it necessarily will, um, but it really lays out an interesting case for how that might look if it did happen. And they lay out three reasons for why they think so. Um, The first one is, um, and they say they referring to China. First, they believe that the nation has sufficient foreign investment in technology transfer. In short, China feels that it's learned all it can learn from foreign multinationals and that it no longer needs them. Domestic enterprises will be prioritized in all situations and encouraged to invest outward, increasing China's influence over markets in the developing world. Second, China realizes that the high growth rates underlying the economic miracle has created an ecological disaster. Growth alone will not guarantee political and social stability. Cleaning up the environment, especially assuring food and water security, will do more in the long run. Growth is being tapered in a calculated way, one percentage point at a time. It is by no means an accident. And third, and I think most importantly, based on the conversation that we're having now, a widening yuan acceptability, yuan being their currency, as a clearing currency for transactions across the developing world will, be strengthen, will strengthen China's sway without shocking its economy with full convertibility. The one is expanding its influence while skirting the risk of such a shock as China lays a new Silk Road of infrastructure interconnectivity from Russia through southern China, or excuse me, through Central South Asia to Korea and along the Swahili coast of Africa. Um, so that really, I think ties, that's the point that really ties into Ecuador is that, is that, um, uh, and, uh, touches on another article that we talked about a couple of weeks ago with, uh, Zimbabwe now using the yuan as their, um, as their currency. Um, you're also seeing a lot of the major economies outside of the U S mainly Brazil, Russia, South Africa, India, trading amongst themselves in their own currencies um, as opposed to dealing with the dollar first and and there's other uh, infrastructure that they're setting up to be able to do that. Uh, You've also seen in the last couple of years um, the yuan now trading offshore not only in Hong Kong but also in Singapore and in London. Um, So there's all these little things that that they're doing to lay the groundwork for um, for being uh, for being one of you know the major currencies in the world, they've also recently been added to the IMF uh, special drawing rights basket. So um, little by little, they're they're doing all these things that in and of themselves don't don't scream out that it's going to be the world's reserve currency. But if it happened short period of short to intermediate time frame, it wouldn't be surprising. Yeah, and and also, I mean, they're just in place. So like if the dollar falters, hint, hint, or, or the euro or any other major currency, the yuan will be there um, already with the infrastructure in place to back trade and potentially be a reserve currency. And they're already the fourth most, um, they're already number four in terms of global trade flows, the, uh, the yuan. So, you know, if you had an issue with the, with the dollar or the euro, it's you know the the one after the one in between China and those currencies are the pound sterling. The pound sterling isn't really an option for that. Yeah, well, and it's also highly tied to those other currencies, right. which the yuan is less so. Yeah, those are those are great points you make there. Um, also, also from central planning hell, but um, but um, yeah, great great points as far as um, I mean, you know, the thing is too, if you're if you're if you have assets or if you're in the investment world, you know, people like to talk about diversification. But one thing that I think people miss the boat on a lot when they talk about diversification is diversifying your currency holdings. Um, it's just a misunderstood um, piece of investing. 
Um, you know, if I'm holding, uh, you know, anything, whether it's classic cars or diamonds or real estate or gold or, you know, anything else, any other investment, you know, obviously stocks, any, any investment class, what you have to look at is what are, what are you receiving back as far as what it's priced in? So for example, um, if I buy stocks and the fed prints and there's lots of printing going on and, and the money supply is increasing and that money is looking for a home that's going to drive up asset prices. But in, and so I can buy stocks and live through that period of time where the Fed is printing and then sell stocks on an absolute basis. My stocks are going to be worth a lot more than they were when I bought them. But on a relative basis in terms of spending power, you, don't, you have to do the math to figure out if you actually gained spending power or not. For example, are your stocks worth more in, in ounces of gold when you bought them versus when you sold them? Or in, or in median home price from when you bought them or when you sold them? Or anything else you want to price them in? And when you talk about currencies, you could be diversified across asset classes, but if they're all priced in the same currency, how, how diversified are you? Because currencies collapse all the time. Um, you know, if, if, if the last 200 years of world history is a story of anything, it's a story of currency collapses. Um, so, and you ha you're at a point in the money supply situation in, the Euro in, in Europe and in the U.S. where you are at the point mathematically where it's going to be difficult to continue to print new money to pay back the debt on the old money that you've printed. So if I'm sitting as an investor or as somebody who has assets in the U.S. and I hold some real estate and I hold some stocks and I hold some bonds and I hold you know, whatever else I'm, I'm investing in, but it's all in the U.S. and it's all priced in dollars. And if the dollar falters, your pr asset prices, um, the, the, the actual value you're going to receive back from those in dollars um, is not going to be good, then how diversified are you really? So that's or why- Or valued in any other currency exactly, for that matter. Exactly. So that's why, you know, if you can find a way to get some currency diversification as well, you know, that's something that I think people should be looking about, especially if you um, have seen the writing on the wall and are concerned about currencies like the dollar and the euro. Yeah. And speaking of writing on the wall or canaries in the coal mine, how about, you know, the Bank of Japan's recent um, decision to turn to negative interest rates? Yeah. They're the, they're the third largest economy in the world. Um, you know, it stands to reason that they're, you know, the first and not the last in that, uh, to enact that policy. And I don't have that stuff in front of me, but there's, I was reading an article about that. There was, there's several, several countries that had already gone, uh, negative. So Japan is, you know, yeah, definitely was not the first. Oh, okay. Um, uh, maybe if you want to grab something else, I'll see if I can look that up. But, um, but yeah, interesting development there as well. Yeah, this is also from Institutional Investor Magazine. Uh, in a five to four vote, the policy board of the Bank of Japan moved to negative interest rate moved to a negative interest rate environment on Friday. This article is from uh, January 29th, so last week, I think last last Friday. Yeah, last Friday. Um, under the new multi-tiered regime, excess reserves will be held held by banks will be debited 0.1% and the Bank of Japan policymakers indicate a willingness to lower the bar further if it does not achieve the desired effect. The move to push financial institutions to deploy capital sparked a rally in the financial assets globally as the yen slid further against the dollar. So why did that happen? Well, it happened because <laughs> money needs to find a home, just as Jesse was saying. And you have to, I mean, you know, people should understand that whenever we're talking about a, a uh, you know, a low, quote, low interest rate environment or a easy money uh, uh, situation when central banks, you know, have rates at or near zero, um, you know, all that does in effect in, in the end is increase the money supply. And every dollar of increased money supply is increased debt. So when you hear... Uh, governments and banks and news organizations talking about spurring the economy by more lending and more monetary easing. Um, what you're taught, what they're talking about, is increasing increasing the money supply, which means increasing debt. So what that does ultimately, and has happened all over the world ten trillion times, it ultimately creates a situation where 
the government, uh, that the particular government that's involved in those policies just ends up cre- creating so much debt that they can't, you know, that will never be repaid because all money is created at interest. So the interest to repay the debt that they're creating was never created interest free to repay itself. <laughs> so, so, you know, that when you're looking at, when you, people talk about economic stimulus by cutting rates, for example, or by uh, increasing debt or, or, or printing or lending, and printing and debt is the same thing because it's a debt-based currency. So you're talking about increasing debt. That is specifically what's being said in all those cases which can only last for, for so long. Right. I mean, it only lasts until people decide that it can continue to last because all of those people are taking on debt because of their future projections about what they can make or what they can do or what, what they can do with the money. So if they don't feel like those projections make sense anymore, well, then, you know, they may stop investing or stop asking for loans and then at that point you know the house of card the cards falls down right and i mean what's the i'm seeing if i can look this up um real quick but you know the 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 if you just think about this for a second, the world if you take all of the debt that exists globally the world is you know trillions of many trillions of dollars in debt and i don't know uh I don't, I'll see if I can pull up the number, but the world is many trillions of dollars in debt. Well, then who exactly are the creditors? You know, if I'm, if I'm country A and Darnell's country B and I loan him money, theoretically, then he should be in the plus and I should be in the minus. So I've got debt, but then he's got the money I lend him to offset the debt. So globally, if there, if we're in a world of people lending money to others, then theoretically it should be at zero. But it's not. It's 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 you know the world is in debt up to their eyeballs. Every country, and that's because currency every in every country in the world is debt based. So each new unit of currency creates new debt, and, and so that's you know that's that's the situation we're in. Um, let's see this website. I don't know if it's accurate or not, but it, this website has global total global debt at sixty trillion. The United States is twenty nine percent of that, by far the biggest. Uh, and that's because they have the largest money supply. <laughs> Japan, they have at 20%, which is, you know, part, partly why their economy has been lousy for, what, 12 years or something? Or a lot of years now. Probably longer. Probably longer. China's uh, 6.25% of world debt. Um, you know, that'll increase as their money supply <laughs> increases. <coughs> so, not to beat a dead horse, but look up debt-based money. You'll, you'll, it'll help you. Yeah. I mean, another... Th- comment about that list those are the three largest economies in the world of course the u.s china and japan but japan has been you know china just very recently like within the last two or three years surpassed japan you know japan had been the second largest for a very long time so it'll take china a long time to catch up to them debt wise so again who do they owe that money to the, the planet the 70 trillion who to who is that old owed and where is that money going to come from i something to ponder <laughs> yes i can be a bit of a jerk sometimes <laughs> all right what else um let's see what else you got there um so we talked about the geopolitics we cho- we talked about china and their involvement specifically here in ecuador a little bit about immigration, some of the new properties. Why don't we talk a little bit about the um, the real estate tour? Oh yeah, great. Um, yeah, so Making we're la- some progress there. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. Um, yeah, so we're launching a real estate tour. Um, it was sort of born out of our experiences um, traveling to ultimately relocating in. Um, investing in and doing business in Ecuador. Um, you know, we're pushing three years later here. Um, you know, we're Spanish speakers. We in the, you know, we're fully in the business community. We've traversed that landscape and the obviously real estate and of course, uh, investing in business. So we thought we could, um, 
start a, a, a tour of Ecuador that's um, also a real estate tour. So kind of killed two birds with one stone for people who are, you know, want to get a sense of Ecuador and see the various parts of Ecuador and also ultimately are considering either investing in real estate here or, or moving here, purchasing a property and living here. Um, so we created a tour that will sort of answer all of the questions that you may have um, in one shot and do it uh, very efficiently, uh, pretty relatively quickly. It's going to be about 10 days, the tour, and uh, where you can see a good piece of the country, um, pretty much all of southern Ecuador and, and a good portion of the coast and see what kind of get a sense for the real estate market. And perhaps more importantly, or as, at least as importantly, you can get um, all of your questions answered and we will be providing all that information, both in, excuse me, written form and uh, presentation form for your visas, for legal issues, for uh, getting your stuff here, for you know all of the all of the legal uh, slash um, immigration issues that you would want to find out, uh, as including of course investing, real estate law, and uh, business. Um, and we can get all that you know done for you in one shot. So you come, you check out Ecuador, you get a sense of the real estate market, and you get all your questions answered as far as. Uh, the the immigration relocation investment business um, process and we're looking at we I think what did we say we're gonna have I think the first one will be in May is that correct yeah we're shooting for mid May mid May so we'll have an option in mid May I think another one in January those are group tours um, that's gonna be around fifteen hundred bucks a person and then we are also gonna have a individual tour so if somebody or or somebody in their spouse um, wants to just come down at, at, at dates of their choosing and, and, and go on the tour with us uh, individually, we'll have that option as well. Absolutely. So, yeah, exciting stuff coming together. And um, when do we, when's the webpage going to be up? Um, let's see. Well, I mean, this pod, today we're recording this on the 3rd. Um, I'm certainly hoping to have it up by the end of this week on Friday. We hit a couple of snags last week getting it getting it finished up and synced with uh, payment options and all of that. Hoping to have it up by Friday, but certainly uh, by the end of next week at the latest, uh, which would be like the sometime around the twelfth thereabouts. Great. What else we got? Um. Yeah, I mean, there's. I guess there's. You know, there's some. Little interesting on the ground stuff going on. I guess one thing I, I think is worth touching on. I mean, we talked a lot of, or we, we, we yeah, we talked a lot about <clears throat> some of the fiscal and uh, and political stuff that's going on here, and, I, and we've certainly hit on this in the past. But it's just unbelievable right now what you can get for your money here. Um, as far as finished products. Houses are being sold at or below cost almost across the board um, where we're at. Apartments, no. Apartments in the city, there's you know a thin margin there. But for houses, um, there's just so many people who for either they're leaving the country as foreigners, um, you know, they've been here 10 years and, you know, they're going home or, or, or whatever, or some, you know, personal life situation that's come up. Or, um, you know, Ecuadorians who are feeling the squeeze, um, you know, and some of the stuff we've talked about. There is just so, so much on the market right now. I mean, for, you know, those two properties, one in Malac the one I mentioned in Malacatos and that other house we've mentioned in the past in Vilcabamba, both priced under $200,000, completely set up, really high-end finishing materials, just gorgeous places to live and, and lifestyles uh, that they accommodate for under 200 Gs, which is, which is really, really quite exceptional. Um, so... That's sort of the positive side to some of the political um, economic stuff that we hit on is there's just a lot on the market right now. And it's, it's created a, a, just a, an exceptionally strong buyer's market. So, buy. <laughs> <laughs> right. you, know, you know one thing maybe we could touch on briefly? Um, and in fact, I think you might have mentioned before the show that you wanted to talk a little bit about some things that were on people's mind. Um, who are who are you know the questions we were getting? But one piece of that that maybe we want to touch on, if you're looking if you're looking to move to Ecuador, and this is part of the reason we launched the tour, or we're launching the tour because we'd really like to get people sort of more ready um, 
to, you know, be able to uh, execute the process, you know, without fear and without um, some of the dangers that go along with, you know, moving to a foreign country, we'd really like to help people be able to do that without, um, you know, too many, too many bumps in the road. And that's part of the reason we launched the company, part of the reason we're launching the tour. But I just think it's worth mentioning to people, if you're thinking about Ecuador, what I would really, really recommend you do is really do your homework on the different areas. Because a lot of people seem to be looking at Ecuador and not yet have like really done their homework as far as climates. Where's the volcanoes? What height do they want to be at? Do they want to be at the coast? Where are cities in relation to each other? You know, how far from the city do they want to be? Do they want rain year-round? Do they not care about rain year-round? Do they want to grow crops? What kind of crops? Where do those grow? And, you know, of course, we can help you with that stuff, and we put out stuff all the time that talks about those kinds of things, both obviously on this show and on the blogs. But, um, you know, I just would say to anybody, if you're, if you're thinking about coming down here, you know, yeah, get in touch with us, ask your questions, but also, you know, do your, do your homework as far as, you know, getting your list of parameters. These are the things I want. This is what I'm looking for. This is the price range. If you're thinking about buying real estate, this is the price range I want to be in as far as a home. These are the things that a property I buy needs to have. You know, this is the area I want to be in. Obviously, it'll help to see, be on the ground and see some of those things, which is, you know, again, why we're doing the tour. But, um, but you know, just getting those parameters clear in your mind, I just definitely recommend people to, to do your homework via, you know, the, the wonders of the internet <laughs> um, on some of that stuff. Yeah, because our goal is really to to orient you, but you have to have done a little bit ahead of time to orient yourself to the point where you can really get the most out of your time in Ecuador. Because if you're coming here and you really don't have those things in your mind, it it doesn't really help. It doesn't really allow us to help you as effectively. So, because if you have your parameters outlined, then we can say, well, here's what you can get, here's what you can't get, here are some of the examples of the things that you're looking for that, you know, are very difficult here for X, Y, Z reasons, what have you. So, it just makes the time a lot more effective and useful um, for both parties. Before we wrap up, was there a couple of things you wanted to hit on as far as uh, questions that have been coming up? Oh, one one big one was about rentals, and that's why I wanted to, that's why I was excited to really share that with um, everybody who's listening, is just to give you an idea of, you know, some really high-end rentals that'll be available. Um, they don't come around often. I personally, in my search for looking for an apartment here in Loja, spent um, eight months looking for a place that I really found was suitable. Um, and we all always recommend that people, you know, find a place and spend some time here um, while they're negotiating um, the purchase of a property or while they're deciding whether they would like to purchase a property or not, definitely getting a feel for the area we think is um, is the way to go, especially for people who haven't been here before. We have run into some people who, you know, hey, they spent two or three months here in the area. They kind of know the area and they've already made a decision to buy. Um, so for those people, not as, not as important, but for others, um, I think it is. And I've been seeing like random Americans and or foreign people in like random neighborhoods in Equ in Loja. That's you know that indicates to me that that process is sort of starting to happen. Um, so that was that was well, one. Well, let's thing. just uh, recap then for people real quick. So for an apartment in Loja that's up to Western standards, you're looking at the lowest end around 300 bucks. At the highest end, 650. Um, so that's your rental market for a house. It'd be a little higher. Yeah. So maybe at the lowest end, what four, four fifty, something like that, up to you know eight hundred or a thousand. Yeah. Um. So that's the rental market here. Um. Like Darnell said, the they're few and far between as far as really nice places, but they definitely we usually have one or two at any given time. Um. So yeah. Yeah. So that's yeah. That's one of the big things that I wanted to touch on. Um. I think you really hit on most of them in the way that I wanted to in terms of just people being prepared to ask the questions that they need to ask to get them to the point of, you know, do I purchase this property, yes or no kind of thing. Um, just on Loja specifically, I mean, it's just really, the change here has been dramatic since we've been here over the last two and a half plus years. Um, it's just... Uh, it's just it's it's being discovered internationally but slowly um but you know more foreign faces all the time and and more just like higher 
I don't know if even higher end, but just prettier stuff um, all over the place. Restaurants, clothing shops, um, you know, bars even, um, you know, little boutique shops all over the place opening up. Um, you know, it's it's sort of, um, you know, has a lot of what Cuenca has to offer and, and, some, and some that, you know, certainly not everything Cuenca has to offer, but sort of has a lot of Cuenca has to offer and is... Um, just kind of being discovered internationally. So you still have like lower prices and, and you know, you don't have all the problems that come along with a, a large uh, foreign community as well. This is actually an article that I really want to touch on. Um, very interesting. Um, it's from also Cuenca High Life and it's called The Evolution of the Expat Community from Adventurer Phase to Early Adopter Phase to the Saturation Phase. And this is by Lee Harrison. He's a, a gentleman who lived in Cuenca from 2002 to th- 2006. Also lived um, in other areas in South America, specifically Uruguay, Brazil, Colombia, Chile, and um, in the U.S. and Arizona. Um, so he put together an article that really breaks down the different phases that an expat community go- goes through. Um, I personally find this very um very comprehensive in terms of how he breaks it down. So I'll go through the phases. Um, He makes a statement about where he feels Cuenca is, and I think it's pretty accurate. I'll share my opinion about Loja, Jesse Chiman, if you'd like. And then, um, and I want to put that in the context of the last thing that I want to touch on in terms of frequently asked questions or things that I think that people should be preparing for. And that really is related to just um, what I'm noticing with a lot of people in their expectations about prices. Um, so phase one in this is the adventurer phase. Uh, during this phase, the, des- the destination attracts people who will go anywhere, regardless of existing stereotypes or perceived danger. These include adventurers, backpackers, as well as sex travelers. <laughs> what? <laughs> wow, that came out of left field. <laughs> yeah. right. Absolutely. But um, it's true <laughs> from, what I've, from what I've heard. Travelers and those... that's not why you came to Ecuador? <laughs> no, I would have gone to Brazil for that. <laughs> and those hiding from ex-spouses, pending lawsuits, etc. <laughs> Maybe the author is um, talking about a, a little bit of personal experience. <laughs> uh, so that's phase one. Phase two... Down here hiding from his ex-wife with a bunch of hookers. <laughs> Uh, You don't have a lot of money for hookers if you're paying alimony. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Jesus. Joking, folks, joking. (laughs) Phase two, the early investor phase. During this phase, people with money to invest who believe that they see potential in the destination begin to visit and take positions. At this stage, there is little to indicate that there's a destin- that the destination will boom, so these early investors are acting on their instincts in past experience. At the early investor stage, travel and live overseas websites publications are beginning to take note of the hotspot destination is emerging. Or that the hotspot destination is emerging. Phase three, the early adopter phase. During this stage, more investors arrive as the leading edge of second home buyers. Overseas retirees average in large, or excuse me, arrive in large numbers as well as those who want to work from abroad and and or start a local business. At this point, the expats who show up are able able and willing to adapt to the culture, learn the language, and fit in. Generally speaking, real estate continues to qualify as a bargain during these first three phases. Phase four. Where would you say we're at here in that? Probably like that, that third phase maybe? or uh, In Ecuador in general? No, or no, in, in this part of Ecuador. I, I mean, mean Cuenca's obviously like gone through all of this. They're like on the other side. Yeah, but. I would say Cuenca's on the other side. I, mean, I would say that Loja is really, I would describe Loja as being in phase two. And yeah. I mean, we're, we're past the sex tourist phase um, <laughs> and, and on to phase two. Because <laughs> yeah, you've gotten, Loja specifically has been in publications like International Living, not in a big way, um, but certainly it's been mentioned, um, but gets mentioned a lot less than a place like Cuenca. You know, I would say that, you know, Cuenca is probably in stage four, uh, which I didn't cover, or stage five. 
Um, yeah, go ahead. I didn't want to. Yeah. I didn't want to stop you. I just was curious your thoughts on okay. on where we're at here. Mm-hmm. Um, so, phase four is the mainstream phase. So during this phase, expat community continues to, or excuse me, is beginning to form a quote unquote critical mass and to take on an identity of its own. By this point, some expats have blended into the local community, while others, including many who continue or who cannot speak the local language, begin to be able to survive within the expat community alone. Phase four also brings opportunities for entrepreneurs who can count on a fair share of expat business for their survival. I would also, yeah, I mean, that's definitely past Loja, so we'd be in two or three. But Vilcabamba, interestingly enough, would be past that stage. I mean, like, people are already... That all exists, but and then some. It's it's saturation more so in Vilcabamba absolutely, as well. Absolutely. Um, he makes another comment. Um, Real estate prices during this stage begin to move from bargain levels to the beginning of what I would call "quote unquote" fairly priced at these at as the stage progresses. Early investors from phase one and two, at least those in for an investment only, are thinking about moving on. In the uh, final phase is phase five, the expat saturation phase. Here, the expat community can continue to take on a life of its own, becoming a recognized cultural entity within the local environment. This phase is also characterized by loads of opportunities for expat entrepreneurs catering to other expats. Newcomers can begin to survive on their own without learning the language or ever becoming part of the local community. During this phase, property prices reach premium levels, Early investors may sell at this point, and early adopters from phase three be, uh, probably begin to miss the adventure of the earlier times. During phase one through phase four, most expats and adopters are and survivors, and most uh, and most uh, succeed in achieving a lifestyle they came looking for. During phase one through four and five, expats moving into moving in are increasingly what I would describe as just along for the ride. They didn't do much investigating or preparing before they arrived and are less likely to learn the language and adapt. These folks often become resentful and unhappy. Wow. I mean, that is just, that article is so spot on. So yeah, so Loja would be like around two, perhaps early three. Vilcabamba, Cuenca are, have done the whole, the whole shebang. I mean, nine out of 10 foreigners I meet in Cuenca and Vilcabamba do not speak Spanish. Do not speak Spanish and just, you know, they came without, ha- you know, having done the research or needing to, they just sort of show up, oh, this is a great expat community. I've heard about it. Um, they probably don't know any, if any people who speak Spanish. Yeah. Um, and they can survive on their own doing that. And again, like I think Vilcabamba and Cuenca are great places, not, not in any way talking negatively about them. They're just very different. So depending on like what you're into as far as how you want your experience to be here, they're very different places. You know, if you came to Loja right now, not, not willing to learn Spanish, it'd be difficult because very few people speak English. Whereas you could go right to Cuenca and Vilcabamba and speak English the rest of your life and, and you know, basically live like you're in the States almost. Um, so, you know, I prefer this, the, the latter or the former, but, um, you know, that there's, there's, there's a lot of pluses to those places as well because they have all those services and they, and, you know, they offer all of those, uh, amenities and comforts and services that, and you don't have to learn the language if you don't want to. Um, I think you should. I mean, I think your life, even if you lived in those places is improved by speaking the, you know, the native language, the native tongue, but, um, but certainly, um, you know, it just comes down to your preferences in those ways. Right. Absolutely. And um, the point that I really wanted to make after reading that article, which is a great article and just good information for anybody who's tuned in, is really how that ties into prices. Uh, he, he addresses, the author addresses this specifically, where you get into phase four and phase five, you're paying uh, a premium for a lot of these services as it relates to real estate. So in a place like Vilcabamba, you're going to pay more than you're going to pay in a place like Loja. Um, and, you know, even more still in, in Cuenca. However, because of the economic situations and a lot of the things that we've talked about in po- past podcasts as well as earlier in this podcast, that's why now is such a good time to buy because of the situation that they're going through now as a country. Um, people are just looking for liquidity in their um 
open to negotiating um, some of these prices so that you can get some of these properties that you're looking for in these places that offer a lot of services to expats at a discount. All right. Or, yeah. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Um, no, that's it. Yeah, we can leave it there. Yeah, good place to wrap up. Um, I don't know what we got in the tank for next week, but we have a couple of guests coming up over the next few podcasts anyhow, and uh, we'll certainly be able to chat about the real estate tour as well as relocation services, which is on the docket as well. Great. So to wrap up, um, visit us at www.abequador.com. That's A as in apple, B as in boy, dot com. You can reach us via email at info at abequador.com, toll-free at 888-999-0948, and uh, we'll see you next time. Thanks, and have a great week.